You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. All right, I'm currently driving down the Old Virginia Road 600 on my way to visit the Bath County Pumped Storage Station, just this side of the border between West Virginia and Virginia. This place started generating electricity back in 1985 and is owned by Dominion Power and First Energy and generates enough electricity for over 750,000 homes in Virginia. It has more electrical producing capacity than the Hoover Dam that sits on the Colorado River. Who knew? All right, so I'm pulling into the facility. Pulling into the parking lot. Let me get out of here. I have a place to park. Nobody's here. So I made this trip on this beautiful spring Saturday, mostly because my wife wanted to go antiquing. <laughs> But also because in this episode, we're talking about how to think strategically and tactically about securing the energy sector in cyberspace. And I wanted to see just why many security professionals think that the energy sector is so unique that it requires different strategies than the, all the other verticals. Walking over here, this beautiful place. All right, according to the literature... This is the largest pump storage facility in the world. But you wouldn't know it to look at it. The only thing that gives it away is a relatively small concrete building called the Powerhouse and some giant transmission lines crossing one of the lakes. The lovely Allegheny Mountains tower over everything. There's about 35 acres of beautiful trees that make up this facility, two fishing creeks, Back Creek and Little Back Creek, and I see two fly fishermen over there. There's a recreation area and a public beach just sitting over there on the side. Like I said, it doesn't look like the Hoover Dam. That's because all of the engineering work is underground. There is an upper and a lower reservoir of water and 12 miles of giant tunnels and spinning turbines under the mountains. Amazing. It certainly doesn't look like any data center that I have ever seen. And maybe that's why it needs a different strategy.
My name is Rick Howard. You are listening to CSO Perspectives, my podcast about the ideas, strategies, and technologies that senior security executives wrestle with on a daily basis. In the first two episodes of Season 5, we talked to experts in the financial sector and the healthcare sector about how they wrap their heads around strategy and tactics in each of those verticals. Of the six people we talked to, they were all of like mind that strategies the security community uses to defend ourselves in cyberspace are universal. In other words, they don't change because you serve a different industry. That said, all of our experts were in violent agreement that the tactics each vertical uses and the priorities they establish are completely different. I was talking to Steve Winterfield about this. He is the Akamai Advisory CISO, a regular visitor at the hash table, and he just so happens to be my best friend. And as always, we were arguing about our crazy ideas. In this case, can cybersecurity leaders overload the military's definitions of strategy, operations, and tactics and apply them in a non-military setting? So the problem is you're asking a question on the presumption that you can transition what is appropriate in a military context over to the commercial context. Not I think there might be a fallacy there. Not having at said all. That, There's having a, said, I'm asking you, you the definition I'm between strategy my question. and I'm tactics. answering the question right, in a way ahead. that is, is most helpful to you since you're a little slow. And so... <laughs> and so I hope your sound guy doesn't have to listen to this. Strategy, operations, and tactics. When you ask the two in a military context without the the third, you do the military a disservice. Strategy is ends and means. It is the larger picture. Operations is the capabilities which you will use to do that. And tactics is the way you deploy those capabilities. Mark Sachs is currently the Deputy Director of Auburn University's McRae Institute for Cyber and Critical Infrastructure Security. This is his first time at the hash table, so be gentle. Mark and I go way back. In fact, Steve, Mark, and I were all doing cybersecurity for the Army back in the day, you know, sometime in the early 2000s. But the reason I wanted him to come to the hash table was that he was the Chief Security Officer for the NERC for three years. That's the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. And at the same time, he had oversight of the EISAC, the Electricity Information Sharing and Analysis Center. I asked him to take a swing at defining strategy in the commercial space. Strategic thinking, long-term, big muscle movements, bold. It tells you where you're going to go. It's like looking over the horizon. As a military guy, my strategy is to defeat the enemy. How I defeat the enemy is the tactical piece of it. On the ground, do I move this unit to the left or to the right and so forth? If you are thinking strategically, you're looking at a very, very big picture. Helen Patton is the advisory CISO for dual security at Cisco. She is also the cybersecurity canon committee chairman and another regular at the hash table. I asked her the question that I asked the other vertical thought leaders. Is energy so much different that you need a completely different strategy to defend it? There's not anything in there that is, to me, radically different than any other vertical. And if you look at the NERC-SIP regulations, at least at a high level, the kinds of things they're asking of the security programs, they're not radically different from any other vertical. When you get down into what does the architecture of the security stack look like, it will change 
based on industry segment and it will also change based on the size of the organisation and the age of the organisation. But the basic principles of mitigating the, the impact of a cyber event, those I think are universal principles. Whenever you discuss energy systems, you inevitably start hearing strange and unfamiliar terms that refer to the automation of those systems. Here's Steve. Typically, you're managing some physical aspects, gas lines, electric lines, something like that. The OT is the larger environment, the operational technology that manages everything. SCADA is the portion that is controlling the PLCs. Generally, you'll see the OT being the larger circle with uh, SCADA and ICS being subcircles. According to Graham Williamson at the Coopinger Coal Analyst blog, think of operational technology or OT as a giant set of IT and security activity that manages industrial operations as opposed to traditional administrative operations. Think oil and gas monitoring versus Windows endpoints. Industrial control systems, or ICS, fall within a subset of OT, and they specifically manage mission-critical applications like mine site conveyor belts and power consumption on electricity grids, things that have to run or the business stops producing. Organizations manage these mission-critical industrial control systems with SCADA devices, or supervisory control and data acquisition, that either provide continuous process monitoring and management via programmable logic controllers, or PLCs, or discrete process control systems, or DPCs, that might use a PLC or some other batch process control device. Whew, did you get all that? All right, just one more time. Here's the alphabet soup again. OT, ICS, SCADA, PLC, and DPC. No wonder energy security executives think they are unique. I asked Helen if she could provide some context to all of that and to assess the actual security threat to these new kinds of environments. You've got a higher propensity of operational technologies as opposed to informational technologies. Most security folks would agree with me that the legacy of OT, I'm going to put a whole bunch of stuff into that heading, Internet of Things, sensors, ICS, SCADA, all of those kinds of technologies tend to be a little bit older, tend to be a little less secured, and we have tended to manage those by network segmentation, which in the hybrid cloud, everything's internet enabled or becoming internet enabled, it becomes less of a valid strategy. On the other hand, I think the kinds of technologies in the OT space are a little less ubiquitous in terms of hacking targets. People go after Windows because everybody's got Windows and they're starting to go after Macs because more and more people have Macs. Not everybody's running around with some kind of SCADA controller from Siemens. It's certainly a vector, but it's just not as subject to the whim of random script kiddies and other sort of opportunistic threat actors. With those preliminaries out of the way, I began to wonder just what exactly is the energy sector? For help, I turned to the famous Verizon DBIR, or Data Breach Investigation Report. Verizon has been producing this annual report for well over a decade now and is a trusted source for breach intelligence on specific sectors like finance and healthcare. Interestingly, in the 2020 report from last year, Verizon decided to replace the energy sector category with a new category that combines mining, quarrying, 
oil and gas extraction with the utilities industries. I asked Helen to explain what's going on here. It's changing a little bit. I would certainly be looking at things like big oil and gas coming out of Texas or out of the Middle East. I'd be looking at electric companies, but there's a lot more that's going into this. When you're dealing with water, there's also a big public-private partnership kind of things that go into this. There are certainly a lot of little mom and pop suppliers and aftermarket suppliers in in that ecosystem. It's not just the big companies and the big names that you've heard about. There are emerging energy sectors that we haven't seen a whole bunch of renewable energies, solar, Teslas in this market. You've got your Tesla roof panels on your house. When you really sit and pay attention to it, it's it's pretty amazing how big the industry actually is. And if the energy sector isn't money enough, there is an entire compliance piece that is unique to those environments. Here's Steve. We talk about energy, and I say energy, but a lot of this would apply to really any of the broader industrial control systems or supervisory control and data acquisition SCADA systems. The Department of Energy has a Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, the FERC, which uses the NERC, which is a North America Electrical Reliability Corporation. They have a standard called SIP, which is a critical infrastructure protection. It's a series just like any of the others that provides all the things you have to do. It is an industry that you can get fines in. It has special call-outs like the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. That even has its own security clearance, Q clearance, which is different than a top secret. The practical side to all of this regulation forces energy companies into a very specific kind of security posture. I think our regulators would push us towards the defensive controls, if I use the NIST language, things that help us identify assets, protect assets and so forth. That's where the regulations sit. If you're in a really heavily regulated industry, you're still focused right there. But I think the mature security functions and strategies and teams are actually focused on the detection and response side of the equation. If you're a finance organization on Wall Street where you've already invested in all your defensive controls, you can, even though you're regulated, pivot and look at detection and response and recovery kinds of elements within your strategy. But if you're a new company, you're an underfunded company, those kinds of things, you can't get away from the defensive controls because that's where the regulators want you to be enough to be able to spend your time in detection and response. And I think with the kinds of nation state attacks and those kinds of things, we have to be in the detect and respond side of things, but our regulators won't let us get there very easily. Because of all the specialized operational technology involved in managing these systems, Mark says that the attack service is just bigger than your typical environments in other sectors. For energy, the interdependency is not pure cyber. As you might know, the power grid, for example, the eastern half of the United States is a big, huge machine. It's all in sync with each other, all the spinning generators and power delivery. Same thing with the western half of the United States is all synchronous with itself. state of Texas has its own grid. But if you just take the east coast, for example, you've got a dozen or more 
independent organizations that all work together. And it's not a cyber thing. Now we're talking electromechanical, but a cyber attack against part of that grid could lead to grid failure across the grid, but not because of cyber, but because of the electromechanical interdependencies. It's a risk area that could be caused by cyber, but could cascade because of the way you're interdependent. And that same thing you might find in airline industries, you might find banking and others where you're really dependent on somebody else to have their cyber act together. If they don't, it could cause you to have a very bad day, even if you're doing your attack surface zero trust stuff perfectly. Even with all the complexities involved with the alphabet soup of OT environments and the mind-numbing collection of compliance regulations and the exponentially large attack surface compared to other verticals, all three of our hash table experts today agree and don't think that the energy sector needs a different set of strategies to secure these environments compared to the other verticals. Here's Helen again to sum it up. I think I agree that it is larger than other verticals. Where I disagree is that it requires different strategies. If you look at the NERC-SIP regulations, at least at a high level, the kinds of things they're asking of the security programs, they're not radically different from any other vertical. We did have some disagreement around the hash table about the future of IT and security in the energy sector. The question is whether or not this vertical was going to follow the same path of every other vertical by moving more and more workloads to the cloud and moving away from buying and maintaining dedicated networking pipes in favor of using the super-fast shared networking pipes provided by the likes of Google, Amazon, and Microsoft. Both Steve and I, who admittedly have never worked in the energy sector, believe that it's inevitable that this vertical will adopt the same path as everyone else. We think that senior leadership will not be able to resist the efficiencies gained by making such a move over the added security risk of remaining not connected. Here's Steve. I'm not sure you won't see the IT and OT become more and more blended just for operational efficiencies. There are aspects of this that that may end up in the cloud. You're starting to see the IT network and the OT network collapse. The days of the OT or SCADA network being truly isolated are largely gone, in my opinion. Mark was adamant that this wasn't so. And again, he was the chief security officer of the NERC for three years, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. He's the recognized authority here. The computer controls that are running the grid and keeping it balanced and keeping it uh, synchronous and so forth are in closed environments not connected to the Internet. And in fact, the regulatory measures in place, uh, they can fine these organizations up to a million dollars a day if they're in violation. And one of the very clear standards is no path to the internet, no connection. You've really reduced your attack surface there by the fact that you're isolated. But the change that's coming up is as we get into what's called distributed energy, think of solar panels and wind turbines and people's homes that are generating power that they can sell back into the bulk power market. And even further, that's large appliances like air conditioners and refrigerators and dryers and so forth that are internet connected and can be possibly attacked by an adversary who could manipulate the demand as an attack and then cause grid disruptions. So yes, that attack surface today is fairly closed, not available to an internet-style attacker. But tomorrow, 
will be absolutely a problem. And it's something the energy community is very aware of, are these new distributed energy and this new control plane and highly connected IoT devices that are uh, big grid users. Is that a new attack problem that the, the, the security community is going to have to worry about? And think about what I'm saying here. If I'm the CISO at a power company, I have no control over you as a customer, whether you're connecting your heavy-duty appliance to the internet. If you have an IoT device that you're now plugging into my electrical network and you're plugging into your router, I, I can't control that. And there's certainly no regulations on the books that require your device that's now interconnecting with a public utility to be secure. But when I pointed out that was exactly what Steve and I were thinking, that this slow march to internet efficiency would drive this configuration and it would be inevitable that those OT systems would be connected to the internet. Mark was still determined that this should not be so. I disagree. I disagree, Rick. There's a difference between being connected for email and for regular business purposes and interconnecting the control systems. The same argument would be said is, okay, well, why don't we interconnect the flight control computer on every airplane out there to the internet? We don't do that. Or same thing with banks, banking transactions. Why don't we just run them over the internet? We don't. We have private networks for that. And you can go on and on with where there are private control networks that do not connect to the public internet. I'm not agreeing with the argument that says that the power companies have to connect their control systems to the internet. That makes no sense. Look at the rollout here in the U.S. of 4G and 5G, and then coming down the road, they're already talking 6G. If you have 5G connection to a solar panel, you don't have to use the internet to talk to that solar panel. It's very easy through that 5G network to have an IP-based infrastructure that talks to the solar panel and still is not connected to the internet because the comm backbone is there. The point I'm trying to make is the public internet, which has grown out of the original ARPANET of the late 60s, early 70s, has its place for humans to communicate, but it's not the place for machines to talk to each other. You talk about strategic is strategically, how do we build out networks that machines can talk to each other, can do it safely, and we can ensure a level of security that we can't do on the public internet because it is a public place, a public commons. In the physical world, we we have fences and gates and guards and borders and things to, to keep security contained. And then we have the public sidewalk and the public square and public roads we got to think about that as well from a cyber perspective, that the public internet is no different than the public highways. And there are times when you need private infrastructure because what you're trying to communicate with requires that level of security. It's like the federal government has their private clouds as well. You can use cloud technologies for storing classified data. It's not your Google Cloud. It's not your uh, public Google Cloud or your public AWS or your public uh, Microsoft Azure. These are all private corners of of these commercial providers. They're not available to the general public. It can be done, Rick. It absolutely can be done. The danger is just saying, I'm going to use the internet. The internet, the public internet, is not the same as the communication infrastructure that you can connect to and move bits and bytes across. I get it. Mark is essentially talking about using our zero trust strategy to limit who and what has access 
to his industrial control systems. In other words, ensure that Grandma's refrigerator can't talk to the Virginia Bath County Pump Story Station, and in doing so, perhaps preventing a sandworm-level attack on U.S. critical infrastructure. And that's a wrap. Since we brought up the subject of OT and IoT systems this episode, for our next week's show, we are inviting experts to the hash table to discuss whether or not the responsibility of securing those environments has moved over to the CISOs list of balls in the air they can't drop. You won't want to miss that. And as always, if you agree or disagree with anything I have said or anything our guests have said, hit me up on LinkedIn or Twitter and we can continue the conversation there. The CyberWire CSO Perspectives is edited by John Petrick and executive produced by Peter Kilpie. Our theme song is by Blue Dot Sessions, remixed by the insanely talented Elliot Peltzman, who also does the show's mixing, sound design, and original score. And I am Rick Howard. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this preview of CSO Perspectives, be sure to subscribe to CyberWire Pro and get access to the rest of this episode, as well as all past seasons of CSO Perspectives ad-free. And you all know I love getting rid of the ads. Visit thecyberwire.com slash CSO Pro. That's thecyberwire.com slash CSO Pro to explore the many benefits of CyberWire Pro and to subscribe.